Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 3, verses, we're going to just read, I'll talk about more, but we're going to read 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw God's spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Just a textual note there. I, I really like a different translation for the dove alighting on him. I like to think of the dove roosting on him. Just a technical note. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the revelation of your son, especially in his baptism. And we pray that you would um, alight and roost in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so today, today is what's known as the Feast of Epiphany or the celebration of Epiphany. Um, epiphany just means revealing something being uncovered that was previously covered up. Uh, a really good example of this is, you know, if, you know, often snow melts pretty quickly around here. Um, but sometimes if it sticks around for a while and then it finally does melt, you find some things that were covered up. Uh, out here, we often find mittens. Um, you know, there was a carrot from a snowman. Uh, you know, even back east where they, I don't know if they get this as much, but they used to just get like feet and feet of snow and then the plows and all this kind of stuff. And then the spring fall would come and they'd like find cars. They would melt and there would be cars that were, had been like plowed in and drifted in and then they and everything melts, and what's unveiled is a vehicle, someone's vehicle. Um, melting, uh, melting or thawing can be kind of a gentle way of uncovering things. Um, but sometimes we, we think of uncovering in a more uh, the difficult sense, like uh, through adversity. You know, if you go through adversity, they say it's something that tests your mettle. Or you find out what you're really made of in adversity. And so that's, what's, that's what gets revealed, is adversity reveals something in us. What's, what's our true character? What's really inside of us? And so sometimes it can be a scary thing to be revealed for what we're actually about versus what we project to people, which we can't help but do. I'm not here to say how terrible we are for projecting certain personas and that kind of thing. We just, we just can't help it. Um, uh, but sometimes we do it so much that we're not even too sure about what would be revealed in situation of a catastrophe or, or adversity. This is where John the Baptist comes in. If ever there was a person who is without pretense, a person who didn't care what people thought a person who we could use uh, in a modern term, someone fully authentic. He was, he, was, he was being his authentic self. 
Um, uh, John doesn't care what people think about his camel clothing. He doesn't care what people think about his diet, locusts, wild honey. Um, and interestingly, he has a lot to say about what other people do. <laughs> so he doesn't care what people think of him, but he lets everyone know what he thinks of them. He spends a lot of time doing this, especially when the religious leaders come to be baptized. He, um, he essentially uh, insults them. He says, you guys are a bunch of vipers, uh, or, or you're, you're just empty, you're whitewashed tombs. Uh, you look good on the outside, you've got nothing on the inside. And um, the only reason you're here is to attach yourself to a popular religious movement, and you're not really being authentic about this experience. And so it makes sense that his deal is baptism. Baptism is a stripping away of all that's false. Uh, baptism is, is, a, is a taking away of everything that isn't us. A vowing to follow God with our true selves. It's, it's this idea of the singular, pure pursuit of God with nothing in the way, nothing false, nothing, nothing mediating. That's John to a T. This is one of the ways a lot of people relate to God, not just John. And I think it's one of the ways we should relate to God. John's not really coming up with anything new, and John is certainly not a hypocrite. He's merely pointing back to the Hebrew prophets. The prophets were the ones who saw why Israel was in so much trouble going into exile. They were idolatrous, and they oppressed the poor. And the prophets beat on it like a drum. You guys got to stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. And they don't stop. And they're off into exile. And John just takes up the drum beat. Stop oppressing the poor. Worship the one true God. There's going to be consequences if you don't. There will be hell to pay. If you've got two coats, give one away. If you're unfair to someone, stop and make restitution. Do what's right. No excuses. That is one way of following God. These days, you know, one example of this is, is the way that we interact with the poor, the way we treat the poor. And in a lot of ways, I think we've sort of outsourced this to people who have like a passion or an expertise with this kind of thing. Um, I, I, have, I have no expertise in dealing with people on the margins. But people often accuse me of having some sort of a passion for it. My mom did this recently. I told her we were sheltering Venezuelans, and she says, oh, you have a heart for this. And, and I, I love my mom. I, it just occurred to me she's listening to this. And, uh, and so, um, so I love my mom, and I love everything she says. And, um, but I told her, I'm not going to tell you anything I didn't tell her. So I, I said I don't. I don't have a heart for this. You know, I have a, I have a heart for naps. I have, I have a passion for woodworking and uh, reading books and going to bookstores. That's, that's what I get excited about. Um, you know, 12 hours here at the church during Christmas. I, don't, I wouldn't say I have a passion for it. Um, but this is one way I relate to God. This is a response to what I've read in the Bible. This kind of behavior. 
Um, I started out as a Bible nerd, but then I had to pay attention to what I was reading. And then I had to respond to it. So this is one approach to God. This is John's approach to God. And um, I'm going to talk about another one. And uh, so, we, so we, we can cover lots of people. And, um, and, but, but what ties these together is this word epiphany. It's a single word epiphany because it, the word epiphany means revealing. And there's actually two stories that are often connected to epiphany. One is the one I just read, Jesus' baptism uh, by John the Baptist in the wilderness. And then the other story is the story of the Magi. That's the really, really common um, story uh, that's associated with epiphany. John, he's all about certainty. The Magi are all about seeking. This is not an easy seeking. This is not a casual seeking. This isn't like, you know, reading some blogs and wondering about God. This is, this is very, very difficult. It's a costly pursuit. The Magi devoted years of their life to doing this. It turned them into strangers, turned them into foreigners. They were away from their homeland for a very long time. And some of us are like this in our pursuit for God. We would like to just kind of give it up. You know, maybe, maybe we had an interaction with God when we were kids and we just have sort of grown out of it and matured and been like, okay, I'm done with the religion stuff. I'm just going to move on. And yet something nags at us and we think, why am I still doing this? Why am I still reading books about God? Why am I still once in a while going to church? Why, why am I still interested in this? Why am I even here? And yet you are. You're on some trail. Could be a blessing, could be a curse. But either way, you're here and you're searching. That's the Magi. That's some of us. Maybe I haven't talked about your experience, um, but I think that's a lot of ways that people approach God. That's a lot of ways that people come at God. For some, it's about the truth. It's about the right thing to do. And then for other people, it's about seeking and that kind of thing. So you find different kinds of churches. You have some churches that are really focused on holiness and on the right path. And then you have some churches that are all about the journey and the seeking and, and that kind of thing. Some give you clarity. Some give you encouragement. Both are found in scripture. We have John the Baptist. We have the Magi. We have lots of other examples. Neither of these ways lead us to God. Again, both biblical, both good examples, neither of them will lead us to God. Let's look at John. John is like, uh, he's fired up and sweaty. This is how I imagine him when Jesus comes. He's like fired up and sweaty. You know, he's like, his face is all red because he's been giving it to the religious leaders. They deserve judgment. They deserve the judge. And then here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. It's, it's too bad we didn't read this part because, um, because this is where we get um, the song, His Truth is Marching On. You know, because, because John says the winnowing fork is in his hand. He's come for the threshing. His truth is marching on. And here he comes. He's finally here, the judge. And then, you know, John just can't help himself. He is like, finally, let them have it. 
I've been preparing the way for you. And what does Jesus do? He says, I would like to be baptized. I'm not here to baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. I am, but right now I want to be baptized. John is startled, astonished, aghast. And something really similar happens with the Magi. Think about it. They follow the star. They're poring over their star charts for years. They have all these precise instruments trying to check things. Um, they finally get to Jerusalem after several years, and they, and they, and they think, we finally found him. We finally, we're in Jerusalem. We finally found this is the capital. He's a king. He's bound to be here. And so they're just asking around, um, hey, so where is he? Where is the king? You know, they're going around the temple, the palace. They finally get to Herod. They say, Herod, just, hey, we're here. So where is he? Where's the king? And then some old scholars, you know, they, they dust off their mica scroll. And then they open it up and they're like, oh, it looks like he's in Bethlehem. 400-year-old prophecy. And so they go to Bethlehem. Okay, fine. He's not in Jerusalem. Let's go to Bethlehem. And what do they expect to find? They expect to find a grand king. What do they actually find? A little kid in a stable. They could never have imagined that. Neither of these ways really led to God. Both were in the ballpark. Let's give them that. But neither approach, neither approach ensured they would find God or understand him when they finally encountered him. And so this is the meaning of the word epiphany. We don't figure it out. We don't get there through truth and certainty. We don't get there through searching and being on the journey. God is revealed to us. John was right. Baptism does reveal who someone actually is. And that's why Jesus wanted to be baptized to reveal who he actually is versus who John wanted him to be. To reveal his true self. And who is God's true self? The father looks at him and says, this is my one. This is exactly my epiphany. If I was ever going to be revealed in the world, it would be like this. He is the judge, but he's also the judged. He is the baptizer, but he's also the baptized. He is both the reward at the end of the way and the way itself. He is radically with us, whether we seek what's right or we are simply seeking. He is completely impossible to locate, to find, and at the same time, he is far too impatient for, to wait for us to find him. This is good news. It also leads to certain consequences. One of those consequences is something that we call church. Um, we're, our congregation is going to gather downstairs after this, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a lot more kind of casual way. Um, but let me make one connection here. 
between what we're seeing in this scripture and what it means to be gathered here this morning. A church is simply a group of people who are awed by the epiphany of who God is. Jesus Christ. We're not perfect. We're not certain. We haven't arrived, but we are awed. And awe requires a response. One response is, wow, right? That's one response. Um, We were just talking about Utah. And when you're in Utah, you say, wow, because you're odd. So that's one response. Another response is, thank you. Another one might be, hey, help me out, please. We use other words for those. We call them praise, gratitude, and prayer, um, or a worship service, but that's all it is. That's all it is. For the Magi, it also meant giving gifts, giving gifts in response to who God is. And for John, it meant obedience, especially in your relationship to other people, and especially in relationship with the poor. For both of them, it meant listening, especially to scriptures. But that's church in a nutshell. That's what we're doing. And it begins in awe. Not that we found God, but that God revealed God's own self as one who is faithfully with us, no matter what. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father, for revealing yourself to us through your Son. And we're so grateful that the one who is revealed to us comes to us as friend, companion, savior, Lord, teacher. In his name we pray, amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you, and may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.